Welcome to the African Campfire Stories podcast, a podcast dedicated to African history. Our website is www.africancampfirestories.com. We are also available on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can leave comments on our website or on our social media pages. Search for African Campfire Stories. We would like to thank all authors who write about history. We rely on the works of these professionals to create this podcast. African History Quickies Episode 6 Ethiopia Defeats Italy Part 1 The story of Italy's defeat in the hands of Emperor Menelik II of Ethiopia in the Battle of Adwa is not very well known. Many people do know that Ethiopia wasn't colonized, though, as we will see, it was colonized for a brief period. But they do not know about this war from the 1890s and the battle that made it possible for Ethiopia to remain independent. In fact, even among Africans, both those in the African continent and those in the diaspora, Emperor Haile Selassie, who ruled Ethiopia in the 20th century, is more famous than Emperor Menelik II. This is somewhat unfair, in our view, especially if you think about the fact that Haile Selassie lost his war with Italy in the 1930s. The Battle of Adwa Fought between Italian and Ethiopian armies on March 1, 1896 was the decisive battle of what has become to be known to history as the First Italo-Ethiopian War. That war was fought between 1895 and 1896. Africa, unfortunately, doesn't have a preponderance of media outlets, book publishers, etc. that can propagate stories from our history, not to mention propagating those stories outside of Africa. On the international stage, African history stories rely on Western-based media. The stories Western media chooses to cover are well-known, both in Africa and elsewhere. For instance, Shaga Zulu is a well-known figure in Africa and internationally exactly because Western media has covered him. But seminal stories, like the 1896 Ethiopian victory over Italy, are nowhere in Western media. So, they are missing in action. We don't believe that Ethiopia's victory against Italy should be more famous in the modern popular imagination just because we are African. No, the history stories whose international popularity usually stands the test of time are the ones that represent a departure from the norm. The story of Cleopatra, which we covered just on this podcast, by the way, isn't a run-of-the-mill normal story. The story of Hannibal Barker, which we've covered on our Xenophobia and Hatred series, is also an outstanding and unique story. So are Alexandra the Great's Napoleon's Adolf Hitler's and Julius Caesar's stories. The story of Italy versus Ethiopia isn't a run-of-the-mill military story. Hannibal Barker is popular because of his singular military genius, a genius that wasn't displayed against just any opponent. Hannibal defeated Roman armies again and again in spectacular military campaigns. And have I mentioned that these victories were against the odds? The defeat of Italy by Ethiopia should be more popular because it represents a rare case in the history of warfare. A case where an African country defeated a European one in open battle. According to the pundits of that time, such a military upset shouldn't have occurred. 
This was the era of the Scramble for Africa. The Scramble for Africa is covered in more detail in our Cold War Porn series, Episode 10, titled Summary of Foreign Intervention in Africa. Episode 11 of Cold War Pawns, titled Enta Congo, covers Belgian King Leopold II's takeover of the Congo. A takeover that wasn't conducted by a country, but by Leopold himself. Meaning Leopold didn't even need the help of the tiny country of Belgium to take over the territory of the Congo. A landmass, by the way, that is two-thirds the size of Western Europe. Many people believe that Belgium conquered the Congo. No. Leopold literally put together a private ragtag band of misfits, mercenaries and opportunists, and that's what he used to conquer a country that is three times the size of France. This is what it took to take over top-notch African territory in the 19th century. This was the era where Cecil Rhodes was taking over what is now modern-day Zimbabwe, Zambia and Malawi without breaking a sweat. So the idea that an African country could defeat a European one was laughable. This was also a time of many racial theories that purported to scientifically show that Europeans were superior to all other races, especially Africans. That is why when, in the same era, the supposedly racially inferior Japanese thoroughly defeated the Russian Empire, the world was shocked. The shock inside Russia itself was such that the ruling dynasty of Russia never recovered from the effects of this defeat. One can draw a straight line between Russia's defeat by Japan in 1905 and the toppling of Russia's ruling dynasty and Russia going communist in 1917. We cover the 1917 Communist Revolution in Russia on episode 4 of our Cold War Porn series, titled The Birth of Fear. But at least the story of Japan's victory over a European power, something regarded as an improbability at the time, gets the attention it deserves today. It is still regarded as an epoch-making historical event, basically Japan's grand entrance into the realm of world superpowers. Don't get me wrong, there have been stories of Africans defeating Europeans that are relatively popular. The story of the 1879 Battle of Isandlwana between the Zulu Kingdom and the British Empire is covered in many documentaries, books and on TV and film. But at the risk of sounding cynical, the British quickly avenged their defeat by the Zulus. So maybe it's no wonder then that we keep hearing the story of the British defeat in Western media. Maybe it's because the defeat doesn't represent a final Zulu victory. It's a victory that was followed by a crushing British victory from which the Zulu kingdom's war machine never recovered. Italy's defeat by Ethiopia meant that Ethiopia would in effect remain independent for good except for a brief period of about seven years in the 1930s and 40s, where Mussolini's Italy defeated and occupied Ethiopia. Seven years of partial occupation isn't that bad for a kingdom whose history goes back to biblical times. I call it a partial occupation because the Italians were never able to subdue the entire country. The Open Bible website has a list of 100 verses from the Christian Bible that mention Ethiopia. This means that out of more than 1,500 years of its existence, Ethiopia was colonized for only seven years. This is an inconsequential amount of time. And it's maybe why many people just go ahead and say Ethiopia was never colonized. Maybe another reason that the story of Ethiopia's victory isn't popular is that Italy itself isn't seen as a military competent country any longer. 
and this state of affairs has existed for a long time now. In World War II, Italy was the laughing stock amongst its enemies and a crippling liability for its allies. World War II, maybe because it was that last serious war between world powers, has a tendency for creating military reputations that have stuck. For instance, France to this day is still regarded as a country that is quick to surrender. So maybe this is why Ethiopia's victory isn't seen as much of a big deal anymore. After all, in comparison with Japan's victory over Russia, Russia is the country that is regarded as having largely won World War II for Britain and the USA. Episode 5 and 6 of the Cold War Porn series talk about the relationships between Britain, the USA, Russia and Germany during World War II. It is difficult to discern the reasons for the world's disinterest in the histories of Africa's victories against European armies. Victories attained against all the logic and expectations of the time. Another similar story from African history that comes to mind is that of the Kingdom of Congo, led by King Pedro II, defeating the Portuguese in the early 17th century. This story is hardly known also. Whether this disinterest is due to honest oversight or whether it's due to honest ignorance or whether it's due to willful and intentional omission, whatever the situation, we believe that this story needs to be better known. So please help us to spread this story by sharing the link to this episode with friends. So what was the background and what were the reasons for Italy and Ethiopia to go to war? Most conquests during the colonial era had two main key drivers, business and geopolitics. Sometimes the issue of pride on the part of the conquering countries was also involved. So, as we proceed with this short series on the first war between Italy and Ethiopia, keep those three motivations in mind. Number one, business or trade. Number two, geopolitics. And number three, pride. The main players in this story are, of course, Ethiopia and Italy. Other players include the following countries, Sudan, Egypt, France, England, Somaliland, Russia, the Ottoman Empire of the Turks, Djibouti, and Eritrea. If I've left out any other countries, fear not, dear listener. They will come up as the story progresses. Let's look at the key business and geopolitical factor involved in this story. i got two words for you. Suez Canal In East Africa and Northeast Africa, the Nile River and thus its surrounding areas were already an important trade and geopolitical consideration for both European and African countries with an imperial bent. So the Nile River partially explains why, way before the story we are telling began, there had been centuries of conquests and counter-conquests amongst the countries of that region. And also why foreign countries like Portugal, the Ottoman Empire, France and Britain had been involved in this region, one way or another, for a long time. However, the advent of the Suez Canal turned things up a notch in terms of trade and geopolitics. Permission to build the canal was obtained from the Alawiya dynasty of Egypt and Sudan in the 1850s. More on this dynasty on the next episodes, particularly Ismail Pasha. The canal would be owned by England and France until Egypt, under Nasser, forcefully took ownership in 1956. The importance of the area around the Horn of Africa and the Red Sea was multiplied when in 1869, the Suez Canal was eventually finished. The Suez Canal meant that Africa, Europe and Asia would now be united by a waterway that acted as a shortcut for travelling between them. 
Until then, sea travel, especially between Europe and Asia, had to take place around what was at that time called the Cape of Good Hope, that is, modern-day Cape Town in South Africa. The advent of the Suez Canal meant that the question of who controlled the African countries that happened to be in the neighborhood of the Horn of Africa and the Red Sea became important. Those African countries have been listed above as the players in this story. We will unfortunately have to stop here today. In the coming episodes of this mini-series, we will discuss the issue of pride. Both the Italy and the Ethiopia of that era were proud countries. Usually in these kinds of stories, the role of the European countries is that of the predator and the role of the African countries is that of prey. But the Ethiopia of that era was an imperial power in its own right, gobbling up and colonizing African countries and sometimes exchanging African countries with European powers. We will also introduce into this story the psychology or the psyche of the Italy of that time. A lot of the war between Italy and Ethiopia has to do with how Italy viewed herself as a country and a nation.